The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us here at church. I'd invite you to stand if you are physically able. We're going to be in Mark chapter number two as we are continuing our series, uh, looking at the different miracles that Jesus did and how we can experience his power in our lives as we go through similar circumstances that we see here in the New Testament. We're going to read the first 12 verses and then pastor's going to come and preach. The Bible says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days and it was noise that he, Jesus, was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born or carried of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say unto the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, and took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed." And glorify God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Good morning, church, and welcome to our second service here after our Easter resurrection services. We're so glad to have each and every one of you as a part of these 11 o'clock services. And I just thoroughly enjoy being able to worship the Lord with you. Uh, before we continue with our series, Miracles, here, uh, that we started about a month ago and we're going to continue through the month of April, I want to give you a quick update on our Each One, Reach One campaign that we started in the middle of February. Uh, of course, for those of you who were here with us in February, we encouraged our church family to pray about people that they could invite to church, coworkers, neighbors, relatives. And uh, at the end of that particular series, we encourage you to write down those names and then bring them and you, and you put those names on a cross that we had here at the uh, center of the auditorium. And uh, throughout the month of March, we begin to invite and encourage folks to be here as our guest. And I'm just excited to announce to you that we had many, many, many families visit with us uh, over the month of March for that Each One Reach One campaign. Uh, we don't know exactly how many there were, but I will say this. We had 44 family units over the month of March that turned in one of our connection cards and got more information about the church. And so we know at a minimum there were 44 families that visited with us. And I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, I want to give you the credit. We give Christ all the glory. And I was excited to see what the Lord does. And I want you to pray with me that many of these folks would continue to come. And for those that do not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they'd come to a saving knowledge of Christ, be discipled, and uh, we'd see God's work continue to go 
forward here in Northwest Fresno. So how many of you will say, you know, I'll pray with you about that, all right? And uh, all right, we've got three of you. I'm excited. Thank you. We can do this, all right? And so praise the Lord for that. I'm excited about what we have in store for us in the days ahead. We're going to be in Mark chapter number 2. We're going to do a Bible study from verse number 1 down through verse number 12. Uh, But before we begin, how many of you, has anyone here ever had a time where you had a problem going to where you needed to go? I I don't know, maybe you got stuck in traffic and you had to get somewhere really quick and uh, there were just obstacles in your way that kept you from getting there. Anybody ever been stuck in traffic before? All right, a few of us stuck in traffic. Uh, Maybe you've had other arenas where you were trying to get someplace and there were just things that were keeping you from getting to where you needed to go. Uh, I had a situation several years back that was similar. I found myself in the midst of an obstacle and it got a little embarrassing actually. Uh, for some of you who have been around a while, uh, you know that I've been a pastor now for the last 16 years. I actually started pastoring at the age of 21 in a little city in the middle of the California Mojave Desert called Boron, all right? For some of you who are familiar uh, with Borax Chemical, Boron is the city around where that mine is, where they literally mine uh, Borax. How many of you have been driving through the desert, and you, you know where Boron is, all right? And you, man, you guys are really special if you know where Boron is. It's not, not in the middle of nowhere. If you blink, you're going to drive right through it. And uh, when I was 21 years old, I I took a little church there in the middle of the Mojave Desert there in Boron. I was 21 and not yet married at the time. So it got a little awkward. On one occasion, I overheard uh, someone in our church saying, oh, there's pastor over there. And uh, that's his girlfriend right there pointing to Jenny. We weren't married yet. So it was like pastor and girlfriend. That was a little bit interesting, you know. And of course, we got married after a while. And I think they got a picture. I want to show you a picture uh, of this, okay. So that was us 15 years ago. And uh, that was a little chapel church that for several years the Lord led us to. And, and on this, in the chapel that we had, uh, on either side of the auditorium, there were these windows. And I want to give you kind of a perspective of what this looked like. There were windows on, on both sides. And uh, if you were sitting there in the auditorium, on the, on the left-hand side, there were windows. And then there was a parking lot where they could park a few cars. And then there was another building uh, right behind the parking lot uh, where my office was and a couple other classrooms and things. And so on this one particular Sunday, uh, I was sitting at the church, and, and the way our tradition was back then when we were there is, uh, as a pastor, they had this special chair that I would sit on uh, up on the platform. So when everybody was singing, I'd be sitting there on that platform, and just kind of the way they did that. And I'd sit there, and I was getting ready. We were singing the last song, and I was going through. I opened up my binder where I kept my notes for the message that I was going to share, and as I opened it up, my heart just sank because I realized somehow I had accidentally grabbed uh, the sermon notes from another sermon that I had preached previously. And I'm up there and I'm about to have to preach in just a minute. I look down and I don't have any of my notes. And I was just like scared of that. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I leaned over to the person who was leading the songs. I said, just keep singing. I said, I'm going to run to my office real quick. I'm going to try to find my notes. And so very nonchalantly, you know, I just kind of made my way off the platform out out the door and as soon as I closed the door I started running as fast as I could across the parking lot I had a suit I had my tie I had my special shoes on I'm running as fast as I can I get to the office door I go to open up the office door and sure enough it's locked 
And I'm thinking, I'm shaking it a little bit. I can't get in. And now my heart is really racing because I'm thinking, what in the world am I supposed to do? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you just start panicking? Because you, you know, okay, this is not going to be good. I don't have much time here. I'm shaking the door. I'm thinking, maybe there's another way to get in. So I start running around the building. I'm looking at every door. Every door around this entire office is shut. And I'm just getting frantic. You know, I know they're in there singing. And I'm like, I've got to get in there. What am I going to do? My mind's racing. I go start looking at windows. And sure enough, the window to my office was cracked open just a little bit and I thought this is it and I pulled it open it got stuck at a certain part and so it opened up just as kind of a different type it opened up this way it was an old building and it opened up this way and I got it open just enough where I could kind of shimmy my way into the window and so I'm in my suit I got my tie and I start climbing up the wall I'm climbing into the window and I'm rushing and literally I just fall all over myself I fall into the office my feet kind of flop over and I get up real quick I grab my notes I race out the door I start running across the parking lot and that's when I notice all the people in the auditorium staring at the window looking at me I get real you know proper start walking like this you know and uh, it was entirely embarrassing they're thinking to themselves see they don't know what's going on with the notes and everything they just think man the pastor's going crazy you know they're watching me tumble into they didn't know what was going on I had to explain myself and everything but I found myself in a situation where there were obstacles getting to where I needed to be and obstacles can be frustrating can't they uh, when you're, you're trying to get somewhere, you're trying to do something, and there's an obstacle that stands in your way. I, I don't know about you, but man, when those things happen, that can be frustrating. It can be, it can be stressful, but it's especially stressful when we find ourselves with obstacles in life. You ever found yourself in a situation where there's an obstacle get in between of where you needed to get financially? You ever been there before and you're like, man, I'm trying to get there and there's just the obstacles that are keeping me from being able to pay the bills and, and being able to put something, saving you financial obstacles. Maybe for others of you, there's some health obstacles. And obstacles in life can be incredibly frustrating because you're trying to get somewhere and it just seems like there are things that are keeping you from getting to where you know you need to be. But what we're going to see from our passage today is this. That oftentimes, obstacles are actually just opportunities for God to do the miraculous. Let me say that one more time because it's our theme for this morning. Oftentimes, obstacles in life are actually just opportunities for God to do the miraculous. This morning, we're going to see from this passage that Pastor Nick read from a moment ago, we're going to look at three aspects of overcoming obstacles in our everyday life. So let's just dive into it for the sake of time. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2, um, verse number 1 is where we began reading. But to give you some context, I'm going to go to Mark chapter number 1, the last verse. The Bible says in verse number 45 that Jesus went out and began to publish it much and, and to blaze abroad the matter in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. And so we see here in verse number one, it goes on to say, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. So let me give you some context to what's happening here. Uh, Jesus was going into Capernaum. I think we have a map here of what that would have looked like in ancient biblical times. Capernaum was north here in Israel. It's up above the Sea of Galilee. Uh, for those of you who know some biblical geography, Jerusalem's down south by the Dead Sea. That's where Bethlehem's at. It's about 135 miles from Capernaum uh, down to Jerusalem. To give you some context for those of you who are from the Central Valley, that would be about the distance from here, maybe to Bakersfield or something like that. And so this is just how Jesus would get 
get around. Well, he went to Capernaum and he starts doing all of this work. I mean, as you'll see in chapters number one, he starts to heal people. Uh, he starts performing miracles. In fact, he starts teaching forgiveness and mercy and grace and salvation. And we come to Mark chapter number one and lives are literally being changed and just his popularity starts spreading like wildfire fire everybody starts hearing about what's going on in fact in verse number one it says after some days it was noise that he was in a house and so what he had to do is because he got so just thronged by all the crowds and all the people he'd have to sneak out into the desert just to get some space and on this particular day he makes his way back into Capernaum here he finds a house and he starts teaching well really quickly it says it was noised abroad we might say it in our modern vernacular it might we might say hey news began to spread I mean everybody starts talking about hey, Jesus is back in town he's teaching over here people are like excited they had heard about everything that was going on he's healing people he's preaching the good news he's performing miracles he's changing lives and here's what's crazy he just keeps outdoing himself and so people are like they've seen the best of Jesus they've seen the most that he can do and it just keeps getting bigger and better and more awesome and he keeps outdoing himself time and time again and that's exactly what's happening in the story which leads us to the first idea from this passage and that's this Jesus power it exceeds his reputation his power exceeds his reputation. I want to remind you of something, my friend, that God is capable of far more than you and I could ever, ever imagine. In fact, Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 20 says it this way. Now unto him that is able to do, notice this, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let that sink in for just a moment. I don't know about you, but I've got a pretty active imagination. I could imagine God doing some pretty good, big things. I could ask God for some big things. I could imagine him. I could think that he could do some pretty awesome things. And the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter number three, no, he's able to do above what we could ask. He's able to do more than we could even think or imagine. And not just do more, but abundantly more than we could ask or think according to the power that is in us. Why? Because Jesus' power exceeds his reputation. Man, our God is a big God. He's a great God. We, we sung about it a moment ago. How, how great is our God? You know what the reality is? And we live in a, a day and age where as human beings, we're prone to exaggerate some things. You ever been there before? You ever inadvertently exaggerated something before? How, how many of you guys had that friend? Maybe some of you guys had a fishing buddy you'd go fishing with. And that time you weren't there, he caught the big one. Right? Every time he told the story, the fish got a little bit bigger. Then he told the story a year later, the fish got a little bit bigger. Man, just as the years went by, that fish got bigger and bigger and bigger. We, we have a propensity, don't we, as humanity uh, to exaggerate some things a little bit. Uh, that has been a, a, exaggerated even more with the advent of social media. H how many of you realize that we inadvertently, it's so easy to inadvertently exaggerate how awesome our lives are on Facebook, on Pinterest, you know, I, I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, Instagram, you know, man, that's how awesome our lives are, you know, this is on social media, and, and we, we, we don't do this on purpose, but we, we do this sometimes, don't we? And we post these pictures, you know, whatever the case may be, and, and uh, maybe, man, there's those times when we go out for a nice restaurant, we go out to eat, we get all dressed up, you know, we go and we take a picture of that, you know, perfect plate and that awesome food that we're eating, and man, we're like, this is awesome, we post that to our Facebook wall. Rarely do I ever see anybody posting, you know, 
know, them sitting in their pajamas on a couch with their, you know, cup of noodles, you know, awesome life, YOLO, you only live once, you know, just, we don't tend to do that, you know, we tend to, we tend to highlight the best, and, and so we inadvertently begin to exaggerate how awesome and, and perfect our lives are, you know, we, we get the kids, there's that one time where we get our kids to actually wear something normal and, and look halfway clean, and that's when we take the picture, you know, of our family all acting perfect and acting awesome. Rarely do I see people posting the picture of their two-year-old with markers all over the wall, you know, painting the walls, coloring on their face, you know, and uh, just screaming bloody murder because we took the markers away from them. And although that's a moment I want on my Facebook wall. We, we rarely see people taking pictures of that, you know. We just inadvertently, it's so easy to inadvertently exaggerate how awesome and perfect our lives tend to be. I, rarely, you know, we'll, we'll post a selfie or something, you know, online. We want that, you know, just want everybody to think how awesome things are. I hardly, I've never seen, you know, somebody who, you know, just woke up, you know, out of bed, you know, hairs all over the place. One of their eyes is still kind of all stuck shut. You know, they look in the mirror and think, that is selfie worthy right there. You know, click it, you know, post it to Instagram. What? We, we, we are prone, right, to inadvertently exaggerate how awesome and perfect our lives is. But I want to say this. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to exaggerate how awesome and how great and how incredible your God is. You, you can't do it. You could do everything you could with words to try to exaggerate and try to talk about how awesome his love and how deep his love and how wonderful his compassion is. But I'm here to say no matter what you said, you cannot exaggerate the love and the compassion of God. It can't be done. You could do your very best with words to try to articulate how powerful and how strong your God is. And no matter what words you used, and no matter what visual imagery you came up with, there is nothing you could say, there is no visual imagery that you could point to that would fully capture the greatness and the awesomeness and the power and strength of your God. Your God can't be exaggerated. Man, if we started talking about salvation and how lavish his generosity is when he died on the cross for our sins, the reality doesn't matter what words you used. It doesn't matter what kind of pictures you conjured up. There is nothing you could do. There is nothing you could say. There's not even anything you could imagine or think that could somehow exaggerate the generosity and love of your heavenly Father. It is literally awe-inspiring to worship a God that you cannot exaggerate. And that's what's happening in this passage. We see news spread abroad about Jesus, what he was doing, what he was accomplishing, and the reality was it wasn't an exaggeration. These were facts. One theologian by the name of A.W. Tozier, he was a, lived many years ago, just a very insightful theologian, he said this. He said, our biggest problems in life are anchored to an inadequate view of God. Biggest problems in life are often anchored to an inadequate view of God. You see, when I see my God as being small, when I see my God as not being super powerful, when I see God as being distant, then all of a sudden my problems seem big. 
But when I understand that my God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that he promises to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, when I fixate and focus on that reality, all of a sudden my problems and, and my needs seems to diminish in the shadow of his greatness and his majesty. You see, our biggest problems are anchored to an inadequate view of God. When we see God as being little, then our problems are going to be big. And when we see God as being big, our problems diminish in their presence. That's why our biggest problems are often anchored to an inadequate view of God. You see, Jesus' power, it exceeds his reputation. There's nothing you could say, there's nothing you could imagine that would somehow that would somehow exaggerate the love, the compassion, the greatness, and the majesty of our God. But I want you to continue reading. Notice what it says in verse number 2. The Bible says, And many were gathered together so that there was no room to receive them. No, not one. So much is about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Get the, get the mental picture here. I want you to see this happening. So Jesus is there in Capernaum. He's there at a house. He starts preaching, he starts teaching, and people, man, rumors start spreading, news gets spreading, it's, his reputation's catching on like wildfire, and everybody's coming to this house, they squeeze into all the rooms, they're peering in through the windows, they're shoving in through the doors, in fact, there are people outside of the house just trying to get a, a glimpse, just trying to get a little listen of what he's saying, and they're just completely surrounding this house, they're just packed in here, and the Bible says in verse number three, and there came unto him, notice this bringing one sick of the palsy. Here's this guy, he could not walk. And the Bible says he was born, he was being carried along by four people. So one day there's these four friends, these four guys. They're milling around and all of a sudden they hear that Jesus has come back to town. Jesus is now back in Capernaum. They start talking about them among themselves and, and they remember this friend that they have. And this particular friend, he couldn't walk. We don't know the situation. God doesn't tell us all the details in his word, but we know whatever the situation is, this guy had a major problem. He couldn't walk. And so these four friends think to themselves, maybe, just maybe, we can carry this friend, we can carry this guy, and we can get him to Jesus. And, and we've heard rumors, and, and we've heard talk that if we can just get him to Jesus, that, that maybe Jesus can heal, and maybe Jesus could do a miracle. And so I don't know exactly how they did it. They got some type of blanket or some type of tarp or maybe a board. But the Bible says somehow the these four friends, they, they pick up this man who could not walk and they start carrying him through the city of Capernaum and they're, get out of our way, we got to get to Jesus, hurry up. And they're pushing people aside and they're getting to that house and, and the Bible says they get to this house and it's just, it's just crowded with people. In fact, it's so crowded that these people were in the way, they literally could not go through the door. I don't know, but I'm sure as we read the passage here, they're, they're getting a little frantic. And so maybe they start making their way around the house. Maybe there's a, another door they can go into and, and there's not. And, and maybe they're looking for a window they can climb through. I mean, you can tell as you read this passage, these guys are pretty desperate. As we read the rest of the story, they start tearing the house apart. These guys were desperate to get this man to Jesus. And so I'm sure they're going around the house looking for a way in. There's walls. There's people surrounding. They thought maybe we could get to the roof. Maybe there's another way into the house. And so they take this man I'm sure he's kind of heavy and it's almost like a burden they're, they're carrying him up to the house and they get to the roof there's no other way down and so we see in this passage they literally start tearing the roof of the house apart why because they want to get this one to Jesus and and I want to say this oftentimes there are obstacles in our lives that attempt to keep us from experiencing the miraculous power of Jesus have you ever been there before 
It just seems like, man, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, but there are things, there are obstacles that are keeping us from experiencing God's power and experiencing the miraculous, which brings us to our second thought from the story this morning, and that's this. Not only do we see that his power exceeded his reputation, I want you to see that life's obstacles can be overcome. Life's obstacles can be overcome. That's what we're going to see here. You see, I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes, I can convince myself that if God's going to do a miracle in some arena of my life, in some area of my life, I I can begin to convince myself, I I can begin to believe the illusion that if God's going to do the miraculous, that it's going to make it easier on me. You ever been there? God, just do this because I want my life to be a little more comfortable. God, do the miraculous because I I want my life to be a little bit easier. But what we see in this passage is, yes, God's going to do a miracle. God's going to do something miraculous, but it actually made more work for these four friends. I I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just get to the humanity of this. It would have been easier for these four guys to be like, you know what? I'm just going to stay at home and watch the game today. (laughs) I mean, let's just be real. You get to Jesus... Oh, I heard he's kind of crowded there at the house. I heard a lot of people. I, heard, I don't know if we're going to be able to get in. And, and, and so, so they don't even try. You see, there's obstacles that will often keep us. We often think that if we're going to experience a miracle, it's going to be easier, but that's not what we see in this passage. In fact, in this passage, it gets more difficult for these men as they're going to see the miraculous. You see, often when God is about to do a miracle, it means there will be more work than there would have been if he wouldn't have done the miracle. It was going to be harder for these. I want you to notice in this passage a, a few types of the obstacles that often keep us from experiencing the miraculous. We see some obstacles in this passage. In verse number four, the Bible says there were, there's so many people that they, the people got in the way between them and Jesus. And I want to say to you today that oftentimes the number one thing that keeps us from experiencing Jesus the way he wants us to experience him the very thing that it keeps us from experiencing the miraculous, the way God wants us to experience the miraculous, the very thing that keeps us from life and life more abundantly in the presence of Jesus, the number one thing that often keeps us from experiencing Jesus in that way is other people. And this happens in a lot of different ways. Uh, sometimes it's that person who just, man, they're just always discouraging us about the things of God. And that person becomes an obstacle to us from experiencing God the way he would desire to experience him. So, sometimes for some of us, it's, it's a spouse. And man, all of a sudden, there's so much toxicity in that relationship, and it's like there's that person that, that we allow to keep us from experiencing God the way we want to experience God. If we're not careful, we start getting a victim mentality. Well, if, if, if that person would just do something different, if, if that person would simply change, if that person would simply move, if that person would simply just get out of the way, then I could experience God and I could experience the miraculous and I could experience life the way, the way I need to. And, and we start being a victim and we start blaming other people for why we're not experiencing the life that we feel God would have us to experience. And we allow people to become an obstacle that keep us from experiencing the miraculous, but not these people, not these guys. 
They weren't going to allow people to become the obstacle that, keep, that kept them from experiencing the power and the miraculous from the hands of Jesus. They, they didn't allow people to become the obstacle. Are you allowing somebody in your life to become the obstacle that's keeping you? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an individual. Somebody, keep, you're allowing somebody. You're playing the victim. You're saying, well, if they'll change, then maybe I could experience God and maybe I could experience the miraculous. But you're allowing some person you're, you're playing the victim game. People, we often, we often use people. We often say that person. We blame somebody else for why we're not experiencing Jesus the way we know he wants us to experience him. Maybe it's something else. Not only do I see people becoming an obstacle, but in this passage we see circumstances, right? I mean, the doors, they were crowded. Obviously, this house had walls because they couldn't just, they were trying to get, I mean, it'd been a lot easier for them to go through a window than to tear the house apart from the roof, which means, man, the windows are crowded, people are leaning into the windows, maybe they're sitting on the windowsill. I mean, everywhere, there's just circumstances. They, they finally get up to the roof and there's no other way to get down into the house and now, all of a sudden, the circumstances of, of just that structure become an obstacle that would keep them from experiencing the miraculous, experiencing God the way maybe they felt they should in that particular situation. And maybe, maybe, you, maybe you find yourself in, in something similar. External circumstances in your life that you allow yourself to believe, that's, that's what's keeping me from experiencing God. Yeah, maybe if, I, maybe, if I, maybe if I had the life of that person, maybe, maybe, maybe if circumstances were going for me like they were for that, and we, allow, we, we begin to make excuses on why we're not going to experience the life that God has for us, and, and, and we start playing the blame game, we start playing victim, well, it's just the circumstances in my life. I mean, after all, these guys could have said, well, if, if God really wanted us to experience the miraculous, if he really wanted to heal this guy, that he would have just made it so easy, right? He, I mean, he parted the Red Sea for Moses, he could have just part all these people if he really wanted us to get this one to Jesus, right? And they could say, wait, just like Jesus, you know, God brought down the walls of Jericho, Jesus, you know, he could have brought down the walls of this house so they could get right in, right? And they could have justified why they were going to allow the obstacle of this house to keep them from getting to the presence of Jesus. But these men, no, they didn't allow the obstacle of people. They did not allow the obstacles of circumstances to, to be the thing that they made as an excuse from getting to the presence of Jesus and experiencing the miraculous. Uh, we, we could talk about just the burden of carrying this man. I mean, think about it for a moment. Here they are, they're, they're carrying, this guy can't help at all, he's just laying there, I mean, he can't walk. They've been carrying him all through the city. They are looking for the house where Jesus is at. They carry him to the house, they come to the door, they, can't, they start carrying him here around the house. They're looking for a window, they're trying to look for another door, another way in. Finally, they're like, maybe there's a way to get, they carry him up to the roof. I mean, they're carrying this, this man, and, and maybe for some of you, it's not people that's becoming an obstacle to experiencing the presence of God. And maybe it's not circumstances, it's some responsibility that's a good responsibility. It's some burden that you've been given, and it's not a bad thing. And for some of you, man, you're just a parent, and, and you know it's your responsibility to care for your kids and take care of your kids, and you know it's your responsibility, and you know you're doing what God wants you to do, and, and you know you're following his will. It's, you're, you're, you got this responsibility, you got this burden, but, but, but you're getting tired. You're just, you're growing weary in it. Uh, some of you would be familiar with uh, somebody from history named Winston Churchill. 
Winston Churchill was the great British statesman that kind of led the way for Britain during World War II. And, and on several occasions, he was requested to give speeches. He was one of the most eloquent men of his generation and just gave some of the most powerful uh, speeches around the world. And on one particular occasion, he was asked to, to give the commencement speech at, at Sandhurst. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, Sandhurst is kind of like the uh, West Point of Britain. It's where all the military cadets would go to train and, and prepare to, to serve in the military. And, and he was well known for giving just some of the, the best speeches in this day and age. And they were just chock full of all kinds of wisdom and sound advice. And, and one day he was asked by the committee of Sandhurst to come and, and share some things that would inspire these graduates, you know, to greatness. The day came and he was to give his commencement speech. And many of the graduates filled the room and... Man, they had their papers out. They had their pens ready. They were leaning there out with their ear. They sat on the edge of their seats because here was Winston. He was just going to drop some, he was just going to drop some wisdom. Just share his greatness. And came time for him to give his speech. And he gets up. He walks over to the podium. Everything gets real quiet because he's about to say, he's about to say something profound. This is what he said. Never quit. That was it. Never quit. In another speech, he said success is simply the process of going from failure to failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. The Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia, he, he said it this way in Galatians chapter number 6, verse 9. He said, be not weary in well-doing. We could say it this way, don't get tired in doing the right things. Here are these guys, they're doing the right things. They're carrying their friend to Jesus. They're expecting God to do the miraculous. They're anticipating Jesus to, to do a miracle. I'm sure it got a little tiring. I'm sure they got a little weary as they were carrying him. I want to say this, you ever get, you ever get just tired? In your marriage, you ever get just get tired in your marriage? Mom, you ever just get weary trying to raise your kids? It's just, you know, babies waking up in the middle of the night. Seniors, you ever just get weary of, it just seems like there's health thing after health thing after health thing. You just get, you just get weary in it. Hearing about, you know, your friends passing away. And just life gets wearisome. You just get tired in life. Maybe for some of our young adults, you're like, man, you're just, you're excited about what the future holds, and man, you're just wanting to see your future come together, and it just seems like no matter what you do, your, your future and your plans and your dreams just kind of keep abating you, and you're wondering, what am I doing through life? You're just trying to figure it all out, and the more you try to figure it out, the more it just kind of unravels, and you're like, man, I, I just get tired of just leaning into the presence of Christ. You ever just get, I'm just, I'm just asking, is there anybody like me? You just get tired. I think, I think God knew that that was something we as human beings would struggle with because that's why he says, be not weary in well-doing. He goes on to say, because in due season, I don't know what due season is for you. I, I prefer due season to be about an hour. I can do about an hour, <laughs> But man, what happens when due season turns into a week? Be not weary, and all of a sudden that week turns into a month. 
And that month turns into a year. And for some of you, your weary seasons have turned from years into decades. And here you're reminded, don't get tired. Don't quit. It was Arsene Wagner who said it this way, the most underrated quality of a successful life is tenacity and perseverance. And here's a question. How? We know we're supposed to persevere. We, we know when we got this burden. We know when there's obstacles in our lives. We know when people are getting in the way of us experiencing Christ and, and enjoying our faith and experiencing the miraculous. We know sometimes people will get in the way and try to discourage that and, and try to distract us. We, we understand that sometimes it's circumstances. It's something at work and it's something with our finances. Maybe something, well, sometimes it's circumstances. And sometimes, sometimes it's just this area in our life. It's the burdens that God's given us. And we don't want the burdens to go away. We want to raise our kids and we want to stay faithful in our marriages. And we want to stay faithful to our church. And we want to stay faithful in our God. But we just get weary in it. We just get tired in it. How do we stay faithful in the midst of the realities of life in which we live? That's a good question. How do we maintain that perseverant tenacity when things just get hard? I think the answer to this is found in verse 4 and 5. The Bible says in verse 4, And when they could not come nigh unto him because of the people, the crowd, the Bible says, they uncovered, they literally tore up the roof where Jesus was at. And when they had broken it up, I mean, this is tenacious, right? It's not even their house. You imagine somebody coming to your house? You imagine this for a moment? And they literally start like, they get, the, they get the hammer out and they're like busting a hole through your roof. I mean, this is how tenacious, this is how perseverant these guys are. They tear this thing up. The Bible says, then they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy where this man who could not walk. And they lower that little bed and they lower it into the house. Notice verse five. I love this. And when Jesus saw their perseverance. Is that what it says? No. When Jesus saw their tenacity. That's not what it says. When Jesus saw their grit and their willpower. Is that what it says? No. Notice what it says. And when Jesus saw their what? Faith. You see them carrying that friend to Jesus. You see them not stopping when the crowd was in their way. Them making their way around the house looking for a way in. When the house seemed to be all built up, they didn't seem to have a way to get in. When they bore him and they carried him and they got maybe even a tire, putting him onto the roof. And when they start tearing the roof apart, you see Jesus didn't see that as simply perseverance. He didn't see that as simply tenacity. He didn't see that as willpower. He didn't see that as great. Here's what he said. He said, I see faith. You say, why is that? Why, why does that? I want to bring us to the third point and that's simply this. Faith sustains perseverance. Faith sustains perseverance perseverance. Think about it for a moment. How many of you have ever heard the word faithful? They point and say that that's a faithful man. That's a faithful lady. Maybe your boss said, man, they're just faithful. Man, they just get it done. They're faithful. The word faithful simply means full of faith. <laughs> So when we remain faithful, we're simply remaining full of faith. You see, 
Giving up is what happens when we lose faith. Giving up is what happens when we begin to doubt. Faithful is full of faith. You see, for these four men who were bringing their friend to Jesus, it wasn't just that they had a lot of character and a lot of discipline and a lot of dedication. It wasn't just that they had grit and willpower and they were just going to make it happen no matter what. No, these men had something else. These men had faith. Their faithfulness happened because they were full of faith. Remember the first point of this message. They had heard about what Jesus had done. They had heard about how he had healed the sick. They had heard about how he had done the miraculous. They had heard him preach of grace and goodness and mercy and forgiveness and salvation. And that stirred something up in their heart when they heard about this one who could do the miraculous. When they heard about this one who could heal the sick. When they heard, it stirred their heart up with faith. It caused them to want to act in light of what they heard. It wasn't that they had willpower. It wasn't that they had grit. It wasn't that they persevered. They had hearts full of faith. And that fullness of faith led to faithfulness. You see, it was Jesus that fueled their hearts. It wasn't their own energy. It wasn't their willpower. They weren't pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. They were looking unto Jesus, like Hebrews says, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking to Jesus. That's why we're told in Romans chapter number 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, what do I do when difficult people in my life are, be, are becoming an obstacle for me to experience Jesus the way I know he wants me to experience him? What happens when there are people that are keeping me from experiencing the miraculous in the presence of the Lord? What do I do? Can I say this? Get your eyes off of people and get your eyes on Jesus. A while back, I was talking with a mentor, a friend of mine, you guys know, most of you, John Van Gelder, and he comes preaches here on a pretty regular basis. And he's been an encouragement to my heart. He's stirred up my faith, and I know he's helped our church family. He's here with us a few months ago. I was out to lunch with him one day, and I said, John, you've got to help me with something. I said, faith, can, it's easy for it to sound very abstract. I said, faith can be very nebulous. Like, I don't know if I have faith or if I do have faith. Like, I, help, help, me, help me practically, help me functionally. How do we know if we have this faith? And he said something that just resonated with me. And he shared some scriptures that kind of helped me understand this a little deeper. And he said this. He said, whatever you focus on is probably where your faith lies. And I said, explain that a little bit. He said, whatever you focus on is probably where your faith lies. He began to explain. He said, if you find yourself in a situation... And you're always trying to figure out with finances, all oh, right, I don't got enough money in the bank account. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. And if I, if I could just have a little bit more money. And, and when problems arise, you look to your financial state. That's what you focus, you focus on. I got to get more finances and I got to figure out how to, you know, make this thing work financially. He said, in the midst of problems, whatever you focus on is actually where your faith rests. And in those moments, your heart looks to finances to be your source of security in your heart. He said, wherever your focus is, is probably where your faith lies. He said, if you're going through problems and you instantly look to your spouse and you think, man, if this spouse, if that person would simply change, 
And you're going through a difficulty and you think, man, if, it was just, if my parents would just change or if my kids would just change, if, if, if this relationship, if my boss would just be a little bit different, then, then I could be satisfied. And when you go through problems, you focus on relationships, then it's probably relationships in which is where your faith rests. Your hope to feel significant or to feel safe is anchored to people. See, wherever your focus is, is probably where your faith lies. If you're the type of person, you're, you're always talking about your next vacation, and you're living for the weekend, and your next entertainment, and doing. And I'm not saying any of this is bad. I'm just trying to help you understand how the spiritual walk actually works. And, and you look toward having bigger toys and nicer stuff. You might be in a position where all of a sudden your faith for the future rests in entertainment. It rests in uh, possessions, and maybe even on a subconscious level, you may not even realize it, but your hope for future satisfaction is anchored to more stuff and doing more things and your focus is on that and that's probably where your faith lies it doesn't have to be as complicated as we think it is but we lie to ourselves we deceive ourselves your faith probably lies wherever your focus rests what's the knee-jerk reaction for you where does your focus go in problems and in obstacles. Because that might be the litmus. It might be a mark of where your focus and your faith actually lies. You see, when you're in the difficult people and you've got difficult people around you, you could focus on the difficult people. You could focus on the people that are getting in your way. You can focus on your spouse. You can focus on your boss. You can focus about, about, on all the people making your life so hard. Or you can focus on the one who is always good. And the one who is always kind. And the one who is always in control. Because what you focus on is where your faith lies. When you're going through challenging circumstances and life is just getting hard and you're like, what in the world is going on? Yes, you can focus on the circumstances. You can focus on the problems. Or you can focus on the promise of his power and his strength and his goodness. If you focus on him, that's where your faith lies. Your faith lies wherever you rest your focus. Man, and maybe, maybe difficult times come up and all you focus on are those burdens, those responsibilities that you have. But I want to encourage you to, to focus on, on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Even if this life is hard and even if this life is difficult, I, I want to remind you to, to focus on the hope that you have in heaven where one day he will wipe away all tears from your eyes, where the day will come where he will make all wrongs right again. You choose what you focus on. And it's a litmus of where your faith rests. Oh, we see here in this passage, yes, life's obstacles can be overcome. We see faith sustains perseverance. But in verses number 6 through verses number 12, we see as we conclude that God does two miracles here. Two. Pastor Nick read about it a moment ago. He does the, the first miracle, the miracle of a ha the heart. He forgives this man of sins and it, it kind of turned into a little bit of drama. What right does Jesus have to forgive sins, you know? And Jesus basically says, he says, that's the easy thing. See, everybody was expecting and anticipating that he would simply 
make the man healed and, and have him walk, but that's not what he does first. Before he fixes the man's situation, he fixes the man's heart. In fact, we see in this passage, that's actually the bigger miracle. You say, why is that the bigger miracle? Because Jesus said it was. Jesus said it's a bigger deal that I can fix the heart than I can fix his body. You see him fixing the body. Basically, he says, stand up. It's almost like an afterthought. Jesus did the hard miracle. He did the big miracle of changing the man's heart, of forgiving his sins. And then he kind of was like, oh, yeah, P.S., by the way, stand up, walk, you're good. See, you and I, we have it all backwards. We want to see God do the big things on the outside. We want to see that, oh, man, look at the healings and, and look at the miracles and all this. And then from Jesus' perspective, the big miracle, the awesome one, is what God does to the hearts of men and women from the inside out. You see, God wants to change your heart even more than he wants to change your circumstances. He wants to fix your heart more than he even wants to fix your life. He wants wants to change your desires. He wants to change your values. He wants to change your motivations. He wants to change your identity. He wants you to change you from the inside out. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants you to be a new creation because that's the big miracle. We got to allow his priorities to be our priorities. The theme for this message was simply this, obstacles are actually just opportunities for God to do the miraculous. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never seen God revolutionize and change your heart from the inside out, today could be the day of your salvation. So here's the takeaway. Allow God's reputation, allow his character to inspire your perseverance. It's not going to be your grit. It's not going to be your willpower. It's not going to be your discipline. Allow his reputation, allow his character, and fixing your eyes and focusing on him, that's what's going to inspire perseverance. It's Jesus. Because faithfulness stems from being full of faith. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.